With great power comes great responsibility, said Voltaire. But we remember the quote from Peter Parker's Uncle Ben in the comic and movie Spider-Man. Well, whoever you attribute the quote to, it nicely summarises how the FCA now expects firms and senior managers to approach diversity and inclusion. No longer a tick box exercise, diversity and inclusion through the eyes of the regulator is an indicator of your firm's approach to conduct and culture. Firms therefore should not be surprised if the FCA over the next few months and years start asking questions about the diversity of your management team, how you are creating an environment in which all people of all backgrounds can speak up and when it comes to product governance, really answer the question, how does your firm ensure that the product you have designed is appropriately accessible? I discuss these issues and more with WorkSmart's Director of Regulation and Market Engagement, Julie Pardy. So let's get to it. Julie, thanks for joining us today on this WorkSmart podcast. For our regular listeners to our podcast and webinar musings, the issue of diversity and inclusion won't be a surprise. For others, though, they might not know why the FCA sees diversity as a regulatory issue and critically, its role in improving culture. This is a really interesting one, actually. And the FCA and the senior executives within it have been more and more vocal about this, I would say, over the last couple of years. So we know that the regulator is very keen on the regulatory culture drivers, and it defines one of them as people policies. And they've talked a lot about it. And there was one particular quote that I wanted to bring out that we talked about before. And that was a quote from Georgina Philippou, who's the chief operating officer there. And in a speech in January, she said that without inclusion, diversity won't lead to better decision making. And without inclusion, we'll not be able to meet the needs of all of our consumers. She also went on to say how a firm prioritises and embeds diversity and inclusion are clear indicators of its culture. We've talked about this before. There is this real concern at the regulator that at very senior levels within organisations, you get this group think. And so if we all come from the same school, the same university, the same socio-economic background, then the chances are we'll, we'll all think very similarly. But if we are a bit more diverse and we have a wide range of representations on the boards of businesses, then we're more likely to be able to more effectively work culturally and actually serve a diverse customer base. And I think that's where they've been going with this. The FCA is saying to firms that a clear indication of culture is your firm's approach to diversity and inclusion, which ties in nicely to what the PRA has said in its monitoring of their supervisory visits to firms, which we covered off in a previous podcast. Yeah, and I think, you know, when they made that research public, I was actually quite surprised about the diversity and inclusion assessment. I mean, I'd always said that the way you behave tells the regulator something about your firm, and it is a cultural indicator without a shadow of a doubt. But actually to find out that from the approved person's register, I think they had been looking at over a six-year period, they'd been considering, so the tenure of senior executives, yeah, not surprising, tenure of the non-executives, but also the age and the gender, and they've been considering those in firms. And so, uh, yeah, I think that behind the scenes, they've been doing all of that research. So the PRA had a very good handle 
on where that was at with their dual regulated banks and, and insurers. And now more recently, the FCA has started talking about it. And I think it's great to see we've got a new CEO in Nick Raffi who's come in and said, look, I'm on a transformational agenda. There's all sorts of things that I would like to change. And it was really interesting to hear him when he spoke recently. He talked about the fact that in his eyes, conduct risk is reduced when you have a more diverse group of people considering it. And he said, as a result, that's the tipping point for him that then makes diversity and inclusion a regulatory matter. We're a technology firm and on the diversity and inclusion agenda, I think we are, like many firms, a work in progress. But we can see that by having a diverse group of individuals working for us, with our oldest employee being 68, our youngest employee being in their early 20s, and coming from many different nationalities and different socio-economic backgrounds, it makes a massive difference to how we think, how we develop things, how we interact with our customers. So I can see why the regulator thinks it's really, really important. Thank you for your candor on, on that. And Nikola also questions how firms can support people from different communities with different needs. He even went on to say in that speech, I would question if any firm can adequately respond to the needs of these consumers if they do not have the diversity of background and experience required to overcome biases and blind spots. That's tough stuff, isn't it? Oh, it really is. And I can give you an example of a discussion around that exactly that we had only a few days ago here at WorkSmart. And we were looking at a new product launch and we were writing the marketing material and the website. And we were having quite a big debate about, so based on this product in this market, what buyers are we talking to? And it was very interesting where we were saying, okay, are they they 20-somethings? Are they 50-somethings? But I think we came back to what we see in financial services when we're working with firms is that it is very traditional that many firms still have a lot of people that sit in that mid-40s, white male, university educated background but we need to consider when we're thinking about our customers in the same way as those regulated firms need to think about theirs because if our customers were 20 somethings then really the way that we market our products and services would need to change because we're very traditional and somewhat reserved but that matches our market as it were in regulatory compliance and if we don't have those conversations regularly, actually it will cause us a problem as a business because we'll be trying to sell the wrong things to the wrong people in the wrong way, which doesn't help anybody. Yeah, you're right. Does that mean that WorkSmart's going to advertise on TikTok? <laughs> now, that is a very good question. A very good question. I think, um, you know, w- when we started doing it, LinkedIn, not a problem. When we got into Twitter, that was a bit adventurous for us. I think that's, that's one. Um, wait, wait and see. We will review it regularly. <laughs> but But on that point, we did engage in a discussion about RegTech and the understanding of fintech, the understanding of regtech, and the understanding, for example, of what things like SaaS solutions, what does that really mean? And we did have an interesting debate about using YouTube as a way to educate people and using members of our team and using that outlet and our WorkSmart YouTube channel to actually start educating the marketplace. So whilst not TikTok 
I think we might be putting a few more how-to on our YouTube channel in the coming months. I look forward to my teenager being able to follow you <laughs> on TikTok and Instagram <laughs> and Pinterest and all that sort of stuff. On a serious note, Nikhil isn't stopping at you know what we've just discussed, but he's saying, look, probably fed up that the dial on DNI hasn't shifted to where it could be. The talk of a six conduct question to SMF holders is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the five conduct questions have been around, what, since 2015, 2016, I think, the f- they were first published. And it's really strange because many parts of the market still don't seem to have come across those. So I think you add this sixth one in, if a firm's seeing them for the first time, they may well feel quite overwhelmed. But isn't it a great question? Isn't it a great question? For others who don't know, do you want to just yes. share yeah, the question? Yes. I can read that out. And the question that you came up with is, is your management team diverse enough to provide adequate challenge? And do you create the right environment in which people of all backgrounds can speak up? Now, I think that's really interesting because when we originally had SMCR implemented and the banks went first, the PRA very specifically had a prescribed responsibility for senior managers. There were two around culture. There was one that was for the chairman around the culture of the board being appropriate. And there was one for the business in in whichever way they decided to allocate that typically to the CEO around the culture of the organisation. And not that long ago when the FCA were doing a stock take on SMCR and were showing those findings to the wider market, I got the opportunity to ask the question why they didn't have a cultural prescribed responsibility like the PRA had. And they, the answer was that they felt that it was more appropriate to help guide and educate the market around culture and truly understanding what it is, what it's made up of, how it's affected and what all the subcomponents are. And it just, this feels to me as if that's, you know, they're working on that agenda to try and educate us around, well, have you thought about this? Consider these questions and that will help you with the cultural status within your organisation. I think it's a good move. Yes. And there's two parts to that question that you've just raised. One is talking about diverse enough. And remember, we're not just talking about gender, not talking about ethnicity. You alluded to it already, but we're talking about background, social economic background. We're talking about age as well. And that's important to raise up in this discussion. And then the second part is creating the right environment. So we're talking about psychological safety, a safe space, isn't it, for all people of all backgrounds being able to speak with confidence to your line manager or even to individual SMF holders. Yeah, and I think it's becoming more and more focused on. And in the speeches, you can see the language where the regulator's talking about the fact that if you've got the right culture in place, it does include this feeling of, I can have an opinion. It doesn't matter if my opinion doesn't align with my manager. Actually, that's probably why you've employed me in the first place, because I'm a bit more diverse in my thinking than maybe existing people. Many firms possibly 
haven't thought about it in that way. They might have had a, right, we've got a whistleblowing champion, we've got a whistleblowing hotline, we've got whistleblowing rules and, and so on and so forth. But that's meeting the regulatory requirements, going a step further and saying, okay, but how does that really feel as an individual? You might have that whistleblowing hotline, but we all know that there was a big FCA case where one particular organisation tried to find a whistleblower, which obviously is completely against what that was trying to achieve. But this is about, do I feel comfortable in a meeting to say, I don't agree with that, or we should take this gamble. I believe that there would be great opportunities for us if we did this. And if it doesn't go right, that that doesn't all come you know, that's held against you forever going forward. But it's more an organisation that says, OK, we'll try and do something. We'll try and push the boundaries on something. If it doesn't work and we don't get the desired result, we're not doing the blame game thing. We're going to go, OK, so what were all of the really good things we did learn so that if we did something like that again, how would we calibrate it slightly different for a better result? And that's effectively what they're looking for is that kind of environment. Yes. What I liked about the FCA's approach is that they, they're putting their hands up and saying we've got work to do on diversity and inclusion with our own, own organisations. So they're not asking regulated firms to do something that they're not prepared to do themselves. Yeah, and I think that's really important because there's, there is definitely a feeling in regulated firms, especially with people that have been there a long time, you know, there's more regulation and more regulation and the regulator's not a commercial entity. They don't understand what it's like. All of these things that they're asking us to do mean that we can't deliver the profits that we need to. And I think it is a good thing. The regulator's saying we need to do this, including themselves. And actually, they are leading by example, which is what they've been asking firms to do and the leaders of firms for quite some time now. We touched on this before, but interesting that the regulator is saying that without an inclusive culture in place, psychological safety is at risk for employees to feel safe. I guess that we should probably look at defining what psychological safety is from the get-go before kind of commenting on how that makes employees feel safe. Yeah, and I looked at a number of definitions when we were putting together the outline for this podcast. And the one that I particularly liked, because it was simple, and therefore easy to understand, it was in its simplest form, psychological safety really is all about creating an environment in which employees feel accepted and respected. This is a, a really nice way to identify an example to help identify if your workplace is psychologically safe or unsafe. So consider that in an unsafe environment, it's probably likely that any mistake you make will be permanently held against you. In a safe environment, you're encouraged because you can't grow unless you try and do things differently. You try and do things differently, you will make mistakes. And therefore, if you've got that occurring, then, you know, you are more likely to feel safer. So you can see whilst people don't feel that the regulator is commercial, a lot of what they're trying to do, actually, if done in the right way, is a commercial advantage, not a regulatory drag. Exactly. And all this ties in to the FCA's focus on non-financial misconduct. This is a theme that has been really pushed out by the regulator over the last couple of years. So this is not really new, is it? But firms are still trying to get their head around this kind of non-financial misconduct issues that the regulator keeps on pushing out to them. I suspect that if you went into many firms, 
and said, this is the definition of non-financial misconduct. This is some examples of how it might play out. You know, if you have somebody in your organisation, in your department, who just doesn't do the right thing. So it's an hour for lunch. They always have three. It's totally unacceptable, aggressive language, inappropriate language in a team meeting when they don't get what they want. We've all worked for organisations where that kind of stuff goes on. And so I think firms know in their heart of hearts, but maybe they haven't categorised it in the way that the regulator is now trying to define it to try and help people understand. I think firms have had such a rocky ride, especially over the last 12 months during the pandemic. It's been really challenging, but one could argue that in times such as this, you need to be more on it because many of your employees are in more difficult circumstances, maybe a little bit more fragile than normal. So leaders of the business have to be more on it than less. I would agree with that. So what should firms be doing now in response to regulatory expectations about diversity and inclusion? I think they should be having some honest conversations. And I think when firms look at what they're doing and they bring it together as a collective, they might realise that they're doing a lot more than they might have thought they had when they consider it in the round. But they should be looking at how they're recruiting, what type of roles they're recruiting for, trying to have processes that avoid just replicating one person after another. I think in the PRA report back in December about SMCR, one of the things they picked up was a concern from the industry that especially for senior manager positions, it was easier just to recruit like people because they felt that they were more likely to get through the approvals process and that there was a risk to the firms that that was going to happen as a result of things being more challenging. So I think firms are considering how they approach things. What does their succession planning look like? How do they create environments where it's okay to speak up and be really challenging about doing things differently? But I think one thing that the pandemic has given us, it's given us the opportunity to all work completely differently in a way that we never thought we could. And I suspect that that's freed up thinking in many organisations that actually we can do things completely differently. We can change the way we do stuff. So, so maybe, you know, through a terrible situation, Situation, it has created that environment where maybe now's the time to be thinking about what needs to be done differently. Thank you so much, Julie, for contributing your thoughts and also the insights of how WorkSmart are tackling some of these challenges and turning these challenges into opportunities, especially on product development and product promotion. So we look forward to TikTok videos from WorkSmart in the not too distant future. Thanks very much indeed, Julie. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn how WorkSmart's SMCR software Accord can provide your firm with clear central record keeping, strong corporate governance, clear accountability, and evidence of employee fitness and proprietary, please visit worksmart.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the insights section of the website that hosts a number of blogs, articles, and on-demand podcasts on topics like operational resilience, behavioral economics, and complaint handling.